Sure, I want to welcome all of you to our service this morning. Glad that we've had this great day to worship our God. Beautiful, beautiful morning for us to have. I want to say one thing before we actually look at the sermon this morning. This sermon is going to be based upon a phrase that, that from when I've read this passage of, in time and I've read what other people have to say about it, it's always about being in Christ. And yet if you look at the text, which we're going to get to in just a little bit, it doesn't say that, being in God, but it's hidden with Christ in God. But there's something about this text that is going to serve as a springboard to next Sunday's sermon, which is dealing with the image of God, right? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we have um, Moses who's writing the passage and he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And I've often heard statements about this, but wanted to actually deal with that passage. Well, this is a precursor to that. And so the things that we wrap up with from this morning will actually be a forerunner into the next sermon. So with that in mind, I want you to, to actually look at this text again and ask yourself, what does that phrase mean? And more importantly and practically, what does it have to do with me and my relationship with God or my, my relationship with Jesus Christ? So in chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 3, Paul is writing to the church, the saints at Colossae, and he says, for you died. He's telling people who are alive, you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? There's a lot of passages like that that you overlook. I was telling uh, Bill this morning in our study on the Holy Spirit, in my mind I was thinking, I wonder if anyone will actually bring up John 20, verse 22, with regard to the fact that here is Jesus after he is resurrected and he breathes upon his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I've bypassed that passage. I've read over it so many times and never really... It never really dawned on me the significance of the text. And I'm still studying on that, by the way. But found it very interesting. And this is one of those kinds of passages where you just read it and you gloss over the words in your Bible reading and never really see what profoundness is available to you. And so I want us to to actually go back to the beginning of this letter and see if we can get an understanding of what is being said by the Apostle Paul when he says, your life is hidden with Christ. So, when he's writing to the saints at Colossae, he's writing to Christians, right? And he says, you are in Christ because, and he gives us the reasons in the opening part of his letter. When he says, you're in Christ because you put your faith, you put your trust in him. So, look at the very first verses of this letter and see if you can make sense of what's being said and how it leads us to the phrase in chapter 3. Paul, verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you always, since we heard of your faith in Christ. There was something about the church there that when he wrote to them, the very first words is, Look at the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. And all of this is because their very faith is being challenged. It's being challenged on one side from the Jews who are trying to bind these laws from the Old Testament and bring them into what is now known as Christianity. 
And then you have the philosophies of men on the other side. The people of the world who are trying to draw you as Christians away from the truth of the gospel. And over to the traditions of men. And so he is saying at the very beginning, you are in Christ because of your faith. You put your trust in the message of him. And that's why in in verse 5, he continues with that very thought and says to them, it is because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So here's this message of good news that tells them about the fact that if you put your faith and your trust in him, your reward of that faith in him is not just the grace of God in your life, but that you have the hope of heaven. Now imagine that. When I went to, um, to Ecuador and preached there, I was at the university, preaching in the university, and I asked the, the students if I could interview them, and one of them I, I recorded on video, and I asked him, I said, why is it that I could come to your country and preach in a public university? Because that would never happen in the U.S. And more than that, that you would listen so intently as if the words that I have are just life and death important. He said, well, in America, you already have your heaven on earth. You have everything there. You don't need God. We have hardly anything here. And so anything that gives us hope, we listen to. That's what they're faced with. They're faced in a society in which hope seems lacking. And so when the gospel message comes... They hear this message, this good news, and it affects them so drastically that they cling to it. But years later, because of that faith, or even months later for some, because of that faith, they're questioning, is what I believe about Jesus really true? And he's writing to them and saying, yes, it is. And remember when you listen to the word of truth of the gospel, that your hope was based upon it? And so he says, this is the reason why you're in Christ. And so you have this hope of heaven. Well, he's writing to those who are in Christ and says to them in the very beginning then, to the saints and faithful brethren who are in Christ. Okay? So with that in mind then, as we go on to the rest of this um, concept of this chapter, in chapters 1 and 2, before we get into chapter 3, we see some things that make it very important about being in Christ. And so he says to them in chapter 2 of what happened when they became Christians. If you, in fact, you go on into chapter 2 and look in the te- with the text with me. In verse 9 of chapter 2. Oh, excuse me, not verse 9. <laughs> verse 12. Look at what he says here. Reading from verse 11, he says, In him, in Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hand. By putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. See, the Jews would automatically look at circumcision and think about the taking away of the foreskin, if you will. And in their mind, they understood that that circumcision was part of that covenant relationship with Jehovah. And when Paul writes this, not only would the Jews have this concept, but many in society would have understood This concept, even if they didn't practice circumcision, but they would know what that would relate to. And then 
He makes the connection to their walk with Jesus. He says in verse 12, You were buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through the faith or through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So get this, he's, as he's writing to Christians who are quote-unquote in Christ, he is not only saying that you're in Christ, you're tied to Christ, you have fellowship in what you've done. Jesus died, and when you were baptized, you were buried with him, likened unto his burial. And as Jesus rose from the dead, the very bedrock of our faith, and part of the reason why I'm having this sermon was because of last week's resurrection, as we studied on the resurrection of Christ, here he's saying, you were buried with him and you rose with him. So you're buried with him, you rise with him, you're tied to him in this way. He then goes on to tell them, not only have you been buried and have risen with him, the result is you died to sin. And this is where things get a little bit closer to this phrase that we're looking at in chapter 3. If you go further in the text and read through second chapter of, of Coloss- the letter to the brethren at Colossae, he's letting them know, listen, why are you, after having died with him and, and buried with him, raised with him, why are you going back? Why would you let people cheat you from the salvation that you have in Jesus? Why would you do that? And so he talks about all of these principalities and powers and the old law as well, and uses from both angles and talks to them and saying, none of these things do you any good. In fact, he goes on to, to say with them about these things in verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And not holding fast to the head, that is Jesus Christ, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch. Don't taste. Do not handle. Which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. So here are these teachings that come from man, aesthetic teachings, if you will. These aesthetic teachings where if you don't do this, you don't do this, you're good to go. He said these things in verse 23 indeed have an appearance of wisdom. But they're self-imposed, if you will. Self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body. They're of no value against indulgence of the flesh. Those things may be good in and of themselves, and thus they have the appearance of wisdom. But you're basing your walk with Christ on it and not on him. He is the preeminence among men. We, We could read that in the first chapter. And so, because we're in Christ Jesus, we died with him, and there's some ramifications to the very concept that you died with Christ. And this is where the watering down of Christianity today forgets this aspect of Christianity. 
And this is the difference between coming here and, and worshiping God and simply filling the pew and then going off and living your own life versus living with Christ because you died with him. Well, that takes us then to this chapter 3 again. I want to reread chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and see if now we can get some con context, if you will, to what's being said and how it would apply to our walk with him. Again, chapter 3, therefore, what, I mean, First Thessalonians, but my bad. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Not on things on earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The whole concept is this phrase right here. Your life is hidden with Christ. That's what we want to answer. And it is very encouraging. When you understand this concept of this word, it really comes to focus in on the meaning of the passage in light of what he has said in this letter. The idea of being hidden, as given in our Bible dictionary, is to cause to be safe or protected by hiding. So you know when you have something that is precious and valuable to you? I'm looking at baby Ryman. Put your baby in a car seat. You take your precious jewelry. What do you have? Maybe some kind of a safe. If it's of great, great value to you, you hide it until you're ready to use it. Or you put something in the bank, in the safety deposit box, because it is of great value to you. And the concept is that when you died with Christ, your soul, if you will, your salvation is kept and reserved, hidden, away from the world, if you will, where it can be snatched away. It's reserved in safekeeping. That's the concept that is given here. Our lives are kept safely with Christ in God. Some would propose that it's as if, well, you know, the world cannot see your life, and it's true. If the world just looks at, at you and me, all they see is this flesh and blood, talk to us, but really, where is our life? I mean, when we read passages like Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, or Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, we are told that our citizenship is where? Here on earth? Our citizenship is in heaven. I might be a U.S. citizen, but that's not where my life really belongs, is it? Not here on earth. We're just pilgrims here. We're living here because we are physical human beings and we live on earth in this physical realm. But our citizenship belongs elsewhere. It's in heaven. That's what we are explicitly told. And so there's something to be said for these texts in which we, we have this promise of being kept safely in guard, if you will, until that day where we have to be face to face with God. And there's that image of God reference that I'm talking about. Well... What does this mean practically then? Well, he gives us the answer within the text here after talking about the things that we should put away. He says, if our lives are hidden with Christ, then we should be seeking things above. 
Our life is not about keeping up with the 401k. Our life is not about going up the corporate ladder. Our lives are about Jesus Christ and Him crucified and the hope that it brings of salvation for every single person, whether they're rich or poor. No matter the nationality, no matter their religious background, if they were idolatrous worshipers, or if they worship Jehovah through the old law, that in Christ we are all one and He is our preeminence. Not the things by which we bind ourselves to, not the philosophies of men. All those things are just, just that, things. And it's not on the flesh that somehow if we keep ourselves from, from eating junk food that we're better Christians. Uh, we might have some good results of that, but that's not, that's not the focus. The focus is not on are you a good money manager. The focus is on Christ. And all these things are benefits that we have as we serve the Lord faithfully in all those areas of our walk. So we set our minds on things above, not here on earth. And we put to death those members. And this is the struggle for Christians. This is why some live their lives as Christians for a while and then go back to the world. Because of this struggle right here that we're talking about. Putting to death our members which are on earth. What he's talking about is the flesh. In fact, this is a passage that Jimmy has really come to love. Jimmy Frazier I'm talking about in Romans chapter 7. That struggle between the flesh and the spirit where he says, you know, I, I want to serve you, Lord. I love your laws. I love your commandments. But I don't always do them. And I hate sin. I still sin. In Romans chapter 7, I want you to read verses 23, 24, 25 with me because this is the reason why Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. The same reason why he wrote to the church at Rome. They have the same struggles. So Romans chapter 7, again in verse 23 following, he says, I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. So here's this struggle, this war, this battle that's going on between my mind and my actions that are of the flesh. They are bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. That's the very thing Paul is saying to the brethren at Colossae, put them to death. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The answer that he gives here is in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. What he is saying is that it is through Christ that we have this salvation because it was through Christ that we were buried with him, we died with him, and we rose with him. So therefore, practically, put to death your members. He has given you salvation. It's kept safely in place for you. But you got to live your life in faith. The very faith that you did to accept who Jesus was. To accept the message of the gospel of truth that gave you a hope for heaven. It is for those reasons that you look above. And you put to death the members 
that are here on earth. The flesh, that is. He's saying the same thing. If you live according to the flesh, Romans chapter 8, verse 13 and 14. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Not the death that you died with Christ, but the death that separates you from Christ. Again, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put the death of deeds of the body or of the flesh, you'll live. So it's this concept of you're going to die one way or the other. Which way is it? Are you going to die to the things of this world and live to the glory of God? Is that going to be your life, brethren? That's what he's saying to the church at Colossae. And that's what God says to us today. Are you going to die to the things of this world? Not that you cannot enjoy the blessings of living in this world. That's another lesson. But by all means, he's not saying that. But you're putting to death the flesh. You do that, you live. Conversely, if you live according to the flesh, you die. You're separated from God. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you're sons of God. You're children of God. What does it mean to be hidden with Christ? It means very succinctly that everything that, that he has given to you, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, that we have all the riches that are in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. That's the same thing he's saying in Colossae when he writes to the church there. You have this great gift in you, the gift of salvation. You have reserved for you a place in heaven. That's where your citizenship is. As a result, brethren, don't walk like the rest of the world. Seek the things above. Put away the flesh. Now here's the preview for next week. And this is the reason why I'm saying this is a springboard for next week. This was God's intention for man when he made man in the very beginning. Everything that God made was good. And his crowning glory was the creation of mankind whom he made in his image. This is the way it should have been in the garden. But of course our almighty God knew that sin was going to enter. Knew that man would choose his own way versus God. And as a result reject the very purpose God had intended. God's intention is for us to reflect the life of Christ. So that we look like Christ who is the express image of our God in heaven. That's his intention for us. We know that we're not perfect at it. We know that we sin. That's the reason why we have a Savior to begin with, brethren. That's the reason why it's good news. The whole reason why we can actually look to God and say, thank you, because our sins are taken away through the cross. But it does not mean that we just go on living as we wish on our own accord. It means we look like God as he had intended. And we walk by faith to say, how can I look like you, live like you in your image? That's his intention. So, if you remember what he had said to the brethren at Colossae, I'm going to say the same thing to you. Have you died with Christ? In other words, have you been buried with him, just as the brethren were told in Colossae, have you been buried with him in baptism so that you may rise up with him, to be raised with him. 
And if you have, he says, as a matter of reality, you're hidden with Christ in God. That's what has happened because you are dead to this world, because you have died with Christ. If you've not, here's your invitation. An opportunity for you to die with Christ and to raise up and walk in newness of life. We are told in Romans chapter 6, as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have died with him, that you may raise to walk in newness of life. Romans 6 verse 5. You can have that. But it takes faith. You have to trust that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That he offers salvation to you. And when you call upon his name, you're calling upon the one who saves you not only from your sins, but gives you the hope of eternal life with him forever and ever. That's a great invitation. Again, that's the reason why the news is good. That's the reason why it's called the gospel. And that's your invitation. If you're not walking worthy of that calling, by all means, if you want our prayers, we'd be happy to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. But I pray, if nothing else, that you be right with God so that you can live for his glory. Why not you do that as together we stand and sing?